building rare and valuable skills. In the last three lessons, I've discussed the importance of focusing on the career capital that really drives people's success. The logic of supply and demand that explains why rare and valuable skills matter so much, as well as the crucial importance of identifying the path forward so you don't burn yourself out working on the wrong things. Today, I'd like to shift and talk about how you can actually get good at the skills you need to to flourish in your career. Anders Ericsson and the Legacy of Deliberate Practice Few psychologists contributed more to the study of expertise than Anders Ericsson. His work studying world-class performance can be dated to a simple memory study. Digit span tasks have long been a staple of cognitive psychologists. These are simple tasks where a list of numbers is presented and the subject has to try to recall as many as he or she can remember. A famous finding is that most people have a span of between 5 and 9 digits. Typically, however, subjects are given little practice on this task. In a twist on the prevailing digit span design, Erickson worked with a single subject, repeating the same task over many, many sessions. The result? The subject's digit span exploded. He was able to recall over 100 digits at the end of their long training session. In this particular subject's case, he ended up inventing a kind of mnemonic system using running times, he was an avid runner, to recall far more digits than his memory would typically allow. This experience led Erickson down a long career studying the effects of large quantities of focused practice on human performance. Experts of all stripes, from doctors to musicians, are able to achieve things that would overwhelm the minds of novices through these sustained efforts. Erickson's research was a major motivation when Cal Newport and I began working on Top Performer. Given the connection between world-class skills and excellent careers, we were interested in seeing how this model of practice could apply outside of the tennis court or a music conservatory, into professional areas where the practice efforts like this weren't as typical, applying deliberate practice to the office. There are three basic ingredients to acquire any complex skill. First, you need to understand how the skill works. That mostly comes from learning from the examples of other people, so you're not reinventing the wheel and you're using the current best practices. Second, you need a lot of practice. Practice lets you perform skills more quickly and automatically. Erickson's obsession with deliberate practice stemmed from the seeming removal of a hard psychological limit on human performance just by practicing a lot. Finally, you need corrective feedback. Both understanding how a skill works and doing it a lot are generally insufficient to get extremely good. Corrective feedback that identifies what you're doing wrong and offers a replacement is usually needed to continue to approve to world-class levels. Erickson's definition of deliberate practice involved focused training sessions away from the demands of productive work where attention was paid on a key aspect of your performance. Coaching was almost always required as well because otherwise it's very difficult to get adequate corrective feedback. Now, such a definition of deliberate practice makes a lot of sense in tightly controlled, high-performance domains such as chess, music, or athletics. But what do you do to get better when your job is, as one former top performer student put it, to basically answer emails all day? Designing a deliberate practice project for work. Professional skills in real environments often make it difficult to get the exact kind of practice Erickson identified as being important for world-class skill development. At the same time, we need to avoid the trap of simply accumulating seniority if we want to accelerate our careers. A common finding from the literature and expertise is that many practitioners aren't particularly proficient despite years of experience if they lack a suitable training environment. 
Cal and my solution to this dilemma and top performer was to guide students in designing a deliberate practice project. This is a project that combines a few elements. First, it should be focused and specific. Not just routine work, but something extra that will force your skills to a higher level. Second, it should be something that you have an opportunity to study examples from to see how the best do it. Figuring out everything on your own is slow, so a good project should begin with a clear picture of how the skill you're trying to improve actually works. And finally, you should be able to get clear feedback so you can drive your progress. Now, designing a good project is not trivial. You need to find something that is a good fit for the career capital you've decided you need to develop. You need to make it focused enough so that improvement is possible, but still relevant to your working life. And finally, you need to actually find time to do the work. However, as we've seen with cohorts from Top Performer, success with these kinds of projects is possible, and it can be helpful in making strides in your work. Students have used projects to land new jobs, get promotions and raises, and become better at their professional craft. I hope you've enjoyed this lesson series drawn from our full course Top Performer. In the full eight-week program, we go into a lot more detail on how you can build a career that you love. To check it out, go to www.top-performer-course.com. Thanks for listening to this episode. More episodes like this can be found by searching for Scott Young Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on most other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider rating my show as it helps other people find out about it. More of my work can be found on my website at scotthyoung.com.